The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. We ask this through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated now for the first lesson. verses 16 through 21, found in the Pew Bible on page 966. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. We're going to sing a gradual hymn as we uh, do the gospel procession, although I'm only going to process the gospel down to the first step here. And I want to invite uh, Tristan to come forward with the cross. So anyone who is kindergarten through sixth grade is encouraged to come down. If uh, parents would like to come with them, you're welcome to as well. And then they're going to actually go out for their sermon in the narthex and they'll come right back in. So let's sing the gradual hymn as we get ready for the gospel reading. Give us ears to hear your holy word. Give us hearts that yearn for your presence, Lord. You restore our souls as you receive our praise. We pray your spirit wash over this place. Jesus, you are the word that we long for. And Lord, you alone are worthy. Give us eyes to see your glory, God. Renew our hearts to receive your grace. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. 
Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I just want to say a prayer over our children before they head out to their sermon, and then we'll sing the second part of our gradual. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for these children. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for the next generation. Would you write your words on their heart? Be with them in their sermon. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can follow Tristan out. Give us ears to hear your holy word. Give us hearts that yearn for your presence, Lord. You restore our souls as you receive our praise. We pray your spirit wash over this place. Jesus, you are the word that we long for. Lord, you alone are worthy. Give us eyes to see your glory, God. Renew our hearts to receive your grace. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for these accounts of Jesus' ministry that we have. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand it. As the preacher, I ask that you would help me now to be clear and true to your word. And I pray for faith to grow in the homes of this church. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're starting this sermon series uh, for Lent, which I've titled, Jesus Is. And so we're going to fill in what the next word would be. Jesus is, and there are various things. There's quite a bit that can be said about him. Uh, Today we're going to look at his humanity and the new kind of human that he showed us how to be. So Jesus is fully human. That's the big idea today. And um, it's interesting to start with Jesus at 12 years old. And he does a a very pre-teen thing to his mother and his father Joseph in staying behind in the temple. And we see him growing in uh, wisdom and stature before God and man. So Jesus is fully human. And then the next week, we'll see Jesus as the Son of God being baptized. Then we'll see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and being the perfect Adam who doesn't sin. 
And I think this is a, a, an appropriate start for this Lent and especially the children's ministry practicum because Joseph and Mary were doing what was commanded of them. Back in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, as it's called, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God, it goes on and it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then a little bit later it says, and when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of all this testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you are to say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And so Jesus went up with his family every year to this feast of Passover. And we say went up, they went south from Nazareth about as the crow flies, it's like 50 miles, but if you go around Samaria, it's more like 80 miles. And not everyone could make it, even though everyone was expected to go to these feasts, but they went every year. They were very faithful um, as a Jewish family. And some people would go for one day, but when we read in this text, they, it says when the days, plural, were ended, then they returned, they would go for the full week every year. They were doing what Deuteronomy says. And this practicum with children is actually trying to live into our vision of discipling generations and doing the same thing, passing the faith on, sharing with our children and grandchildren in the next generation what is good about God, who is God. So it's a perfect start for this children's practicum. And I think it's interesting that Luke, who was writing this, this account, probably from testimony he got directly from Mary, um, how else would we have all the birth narratives and all the details of what happened in Bethlehem and the angels and the shepherds and our whole pageant just about, except for the Magi, thankfully, uh, came from Luke. And this text that I just read is actually bookended. The verse right before it, where I started in chapter two, verse 40, I started in 41, it says this, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And that was back when he was just a baby presented at the temple. And then we have the story of him being 12, and then it ends again saying that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I find this incredibly both intriguing and encouraging. Jesus was, is fully human. He also is fully God, but he understands what it's like to be a teenager. He understands what it's like to have parents giving you the rules of the house and having to submit to that leadership. He understands what it's like to grow you know, in stature and height, as well as grow in wisdom and understanding about how things work. He, he gets us because he became man. So we see this in here, but we also see something else. My big idea this morning is that Jesus is fully human, but he shows us a new way to be truly human. There was something very different about him, how he lived, how he related to his father, how he understood the kingdom of God, and that that was marked by a couple of things. I'm gonna ask the question at the end of the service, it's actually printed on the, at the bottom of the calendar on the insert, what did Jesus mean when he said he had to be in his father's house? I'm actually gonna encourage the kids to ask you about that. We'll see what their sermon that Jessica's giving them now says and how it compares to what I'm saying, but I wanna encourage all of us to keep reflecting upon this. 
We don't want to be like James says, people who are hearers but not doers of the word, or someone who looks at themselves in the mirror, and as soon as they walk away, forget what it looked like. So we want to keep reflecting on this. But I think that Jesus' way of being human that we're seeing here, even at 12, it was marked by two big things. One was confusion, and the other was intimacy. We see a confusion around his living into the kingdom and its reality, and we also see an intimacy with the Father that we had not seen before. And so I want to look at both of those things. Jesus is still confusing for a lot of people today, and people are guessing about who he was. Everything from he doesn't exist, most people don't say that because the historical records are so strong. But he's some historical religious leader, some will say. Others will say he was a great moral teacher. Of course, if they pay attention to the things he did and taught, you have to exclude that because you, you can't just be a mere human and do and say the things Jesus did. Um, you would be not a good teacher because he also claimed to be God and be the one who was going to die for sins. So people guess about who Jesus is. Is he relevant today? Whatever. And um, when I transitioned out of engineering into youth ministry, I, I saw a bumper sticker that I particularly liked, and I stuck it on a guitar case, and it said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. And I liked it because it, it was true, but it also brought out some of the confusion about who is Jesus? What was his identity? You know, Joseph was a carpenter. His father, or a presumed father, would have been teaching him the trade, bringing him up in that. Who is God, who is Jesus' father? Well, in the text, the word father occurs twice. You know, he had an earthly father, in a sense, but his heavenly father, he's the son of God. And right away, that was confusing to a lot of people. But Joseph, in a surrogate way, was his father. And in fact, in verse 48 of that text I read, it says, when his parents, plural, saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And then as a, you know, 12-year-old, he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, capital F, right? Now, it does say he grew in stature and wisdom. And one of the mysteries of this is how much did he know and when did he know it about who he was and what he was going to do? If he's growing in wisdom, at some point, he might have dialed back those questions. He, he was always, Jesus was always good at asking questions that were uh, in, incisive to the heart. But it might not have been the wisest thing to ask his mother and father at that moment that question. The anxiety of three days of searching for them, he's probably not really thinking as much about them as focused on his heavenly father and the teaching, and he was just in the text of the, the Hebrew, and he was asking all those questions. So we see a very 12-year-old human boy, and yet he's so much more than that. So they were bringing Jesus up as best they knew. You know, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and that Shema and teaching it to the next generation. They were bringing their kids um, uh, up to the temple. And Joseph was teaching his trade. I imagine he took them around the temple and they explained as well as they understood it what the temple meant and the whole Jerusalem thing and the, the, read the Torah to them. And I'm sure he was in synagogue back in uh, Nazareth. And now he's here at the temple. And 12 years old is a significant age especially in the Jewish ways. Now, bar mitzvah, being a son of the commandment, didn't start until about five centuries after Jesus, but it was built on something which was an understanding of a boy becoming a man as he enters into his teenage years, way earlier than what we would think today. I mean, I, heard, I hear the expression today, adult adolescence, when 
a 27-year-old man is still playing video games and living in his mom's basement and not working a job and just refusing to grow up, right? Here, 13, you, you, you start to be a man. And so um, there was a lot of responsibility given and expectations. It's not surprising to me that they expected Jesus to tend to himself and be with the group on the caravan heading back. And they, they went a day, and then at night they were checking in on him and he wasn't there. Then they had to go a day back, and then they had to look for him on the third day. So that was a stressful moment, but Jesus was expected to behave more like an adult at the age of 12. He was coming up, and he was growing in stature and in wisdom. But Jesus was also special. And chapter two in Luke's gospel is kind of a unit, and this is the third of of three things. So we've got people declaring things about who this boy was. First of all, there are the angels that come in Bethlehem to the shepherds in our pageant, You know, they bring good news of great joy. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, this isn't just a typical 12-year-old boy. This is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then when they go to present him in the temple a month later, Simeon the prophet is there and takes this baby up in his arms and declares that this is a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Oh, and Mary a sword will pierce your own soul too. You know, foreshadowing in the darkest way, looking ahead to the cross, but even the confusion that would happen when he's 12, her soul got pierced a little bit when she lost her 12-year-old boy for three days. I mean, we read it in the text, but as a parent, three days not knowing where your kid is, where is he sleeping? Is anyone feeding him? Has he been abducted? They had reason to be concerned, right? Even though they knew that this is Christ, the Lord, the Savior, I mean, Herod tried to kill all the babies. There were people that did not want him to live. And Mary and Joseph would have known that and probably were thinking about what happened, what's going on. Their anxiety level was pretty high when they finally found him and confronted him. So this is the Savior who's Christ the Lord. He's a light for Gentiles and for the glory of Israel. And now in in Luke, he kind of completes these three things with Jesus speaking the first words in Luke's gospel. You know, if you have a Bible that has the words of Christ in red, this is the first red. And it's two questions, actually. Why were you searching for me? And didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Those are tough questions, but they're really useful for us. So um, in the Greek, it's actually confusing because it's idiomatic. It doesn't actually say house. I mean, it literally says, in the blank of my father. It doesn't actually supply the word. So the King James Version, the older Bible, they actually said, they they smoothed it out to say, to be about my father's business. Didn't you know I had to be in the business of my father? But why would the business of God have to be localized to the temple? There's reasons why that doesn't make the best sense. It's contextual to the geographic area. They went searching in the temple, and so the, the... Revised Standard Version, the ESV, the NIV, the ones that say, in my father's house, make a little more sense. But it's fair to say both things. He was about the business of the father, and he was in the house of the father. And what was the temple about? The presence of God and worship and the teaching of the law of God. And that's what Jesus was doing with those scribes and those religious leaders. He was asking questions, and he was answering their responses. I would love to know what kind of questions he was asking, but whatever it was, everyone marveled at how much understanding he already had as a 12-year-old boy. 
I'm sure he was dialing in on the questions of identity, of who the Messiah would be. Maybe he was making the connection early between Daniel's son of man, the glorious one who's going to reign, and then Isaiah's suffering servant, asking, could this be the same person? You know, I wonder. We, we learn later that it actually is the same person, and it was him. But you see, Jesus later would teach that he brings new wine, and you can't put it in old wineskins. And so he was causing confusion for people. The questions he would be asking, his uh, interaction with his own family, it was confusing. Verse 50, it says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They just didn't get it. Even though angels had spoken over this boy, the prophets, Simeon and Anna had spoken over this boy, and um, they just still didn't get it. Now, Jesus, even at 12, had clarity on his identity. You you probably know I had a birthday uh, last week, and now I'm in the second half of my century, and I was looking at this book, you know, one of those little, like, you know, bathroom books that has quotes of people about age and whatever, you know, just, I was flipping through that, and I came across one from Pablo Picasso. Picasso says, one starts to get young at the age of 60, and then it's too late. (laughs) There were tons of quotes like that. But it reminded me of the fact that most of us spend a long time not knowing who we are. The modern psych industry talks about becoming self-actualized, figuring out who one is. Jesus did not take long to figure that out. By 12, he was very clear, I must be in my father's house about his business, and he is my heavenly father. I'm clear on who my father is. Jesus at 12 knew this. And I think it's because of his intimate connection with the Father. So not not only was his new way of being human confusing to his family, to the religious system, but he brought forth a kind of intimacy that was unheard of in Israel. The Old Testament does talk about God as Father. I mean, you can look like uh, Moses talks about, in Deuteronomy 32.6, talks about um, God, your creator, is your Father. But it was more like the Father of a nation or the almighty creator. It was not the intimate kind of thing that Jesus would talk about when he says in our Ash Wednesday reading, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who sees in secret, and he'll reward you. There was a level of intimacy that Jesus brought that was new. It was different, and it's still for us. Now, we can't know when Jesus understood his identity fully and his mission fully. When did he understand that that cross was for him? It might have been now. I mean, Passover was sacrificing the the Passover lambs, so the blood atonement atoned for sin, and by the time that John the Baptist comes on the scene, 17 years later, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By that point, Jesus certainly understood he is going to be the Lamb of God. He's going to be the one who dies for us, takes away our sins, pays, he, he is the propitiation for our sins, as those comfortable words say, appeasing the wrath of God, allowing us to have forgiveness, Or as the first reading said, he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At some point, he figured that out. So, but what did he mean when he said, I had to be in my father's house? Well, one, an intimate relationship with God as father, personal, a personal and deep loving relationship. And that led to clarity on his calling. Don't wait till you're 60 to figure out who you are. As you pursue God, your identity then becomes clearer because he's the one who made you and knows you and he will speak those words of identity to you. But then there's confusion for others as well. Um, So what's the takeaway? Well, one, Jesus revealed 
the Father's heart to us. He loves you and I intimately. This is who God is. We have a loving Father in heaven. Yes, he's almighty. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he does not take sin lightly. But he has dealt with it on the cross, and he loves you. He loves me. This is who our God is. And I think we can learn from Jesus how to pray and how to relate to God and how to abide in him, to use his words from John 15, to develop that relationship, to fear God in a good way but not be afraid of God, right? To, re- to revere him but recognize his loving Father's heart. And John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. As you get into the word and you read the accounts of what God has done for us, who Jesus is, how he's revealed the Father to us, you start to realize how much he loves you. I still can remember my youth pastor saying, this is God's love letter to you. It tells you how much God loves you. It shares the heart of God with you and that you and I can learn to love because he's first loved us. So Jesus revealed the Father's heart intimately. And then intimacy will lead to clarity on our identity. So if anyone is in Christ, Paul writes, he or she is a new creation. God renews you and gives you a new direction. Sometimes it's very surprising. He knows what gifts he's given you. He has called you to a ministry of sorts. Everyone has that. The the work of the saints is to build up the whole body to serve the world. Where do you fit in that? That will come out of that prayer life with the Lord. Even as B.E. said for Ash Wednesday, I'm not going to tell you not to eat meat on Fridays or to fast from TV or whatever. You talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask God what he would have you do. It comes out of that relationship, then who you are and then what you do. And then finally, expect confusion still. You know, this kingdom of God thing where God's kingdom is breaking into the kingdom of the world, a lot of times it does not make sense to us even still. Jesus will do things that we don't understand, but we learn to trust him because of what he has already done and what he has promised. He'll confuse you, and you'll say, why, God? Why are you letting these circumstances happen? And the answer is, we don't get to know all the time. Maybe one day we'll find out, but we know he's trustworthy. But because of who Jesus is and what he's doing, it does bring confusion, and that's okay. The other thing is, if you actually start following him, people in your life will be confused. they, They won't get it. At one point early on in ministry, that same job where I had the sticker on the guitar case, the Lord told Heather and I to quit both our jobs and to go to England for three months to do a sabbatical and study what was going on in a missional church that was in Sheffield, England. And then we found out we were pregnant. And that caused a lot of confusion for my parents and other people. What do you mean you've quit your jobs with no other jobs lined up? What are you doing? This is so irresponsible. The Lord was so clear about it, though. Three different times he told us, and we knew we had to do it. He provided. On this side, it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, it all worked out great. In the moment, it was confusing and frightening, and it was very clear. But other people didn't understand. It looked irresponsible to them to follow Jesus is not boring. It becomes very interesting. So what did it mean that Jesus had to be in his father's house? Well, at least two things. It meant confusion when the kingdoms are clashing, and it meant a revealed intimacy with his father that we also can have. So I want to pray and invite you to join me. Lord, I'm, I, I thank you for the scriptures and um, for the excitement of your kingdom. Jesus, you are so interesting. Every time I read your gospel, it's, it's like falling in love again. Thank you for being so awesome. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would help us to learn to love God like he loves us. Thank you.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to remain uh, seated. We're going to have a sermon response song, and that's also so the kids can find their families. So as we uh, sing the sermon response song, just reflect upon the question of what did it mean that Jesus had to be in his father's house. The kids will find their way back in here through the pews, and then after that, we'll, uh, we'll stand for the creed.